And welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. This actually is one of my homeboys. I know y'all think that I don't know everybody I talk to, but even though I call him my friends, etc. But I actually know this young man, and he has come a long way since college, as we all have. And we will not talk about those college days, to say the least. <laughs> Ibert Schultz. What's going on, my brother? How are you? I'm well, I'm well. So good to be with you, Bakari. You're looking good, man. Been in the gym, huh? Yeah, yeah. I, either that or I'm just getting big. I don't know which one it is. <laughs> I feel good. Look, we start each one of our shows by having our guests walk us through the arc of their careers. And you've literally done a little bit of everything, which is why you're here. You've been in big law. You've been a speechwriter. You've worked in politics. And now you're in nonprofit leadership. Walk us through your various career stops since finishing law school and talk about the work you do now with the L.A. Promise Fund and Black College Success. Yeah, no, thank you for that question. I think um, a lot of our a lot of our work, a lot of our career pathways is kind of all born from like, um, you know, unique experiences when we're, you know, when we're coming up for me. Uh, you know, growing I'm from New York City, um, but obviously I live in L.A. now and um, the New York experience growing up, what I like to say under Giuliani era um, was a unique one, um, you know, one where, you know, I had a really interesting, you just have a lot of interesting interactions with, uh, you know, the, the police and it's just, the city was just a di- different city by then. Um, but, you know, I say all that to say I found my way to Morehouse. A uh, place to change my life, uh, meeting uh, incredible uh, student leaders who look like uh, me, who are from different parts of the country. And it showed me the full spectrum of uh, the Black experience. Um, so, you know, after I went to Morehouse, uh, you know, I was trying to figure out kind of what are the next steps. Uh, I knew I didn't want to go immediately work on Wall Street or, you know, do the, you know, what we all do when we graduate from school, right? Try to make a little m- money. Um, I went to Peace Corps. Um, well, at Peace Corps, um, lived in Nicaragua for some two and a half years. Um, and it was probably one, I'd say, the most transformational experiences of my life. Uh, being an uh, inner city guy, living in the countryside, another language, running my programs, um, you know, told me that I wanted to kind of pursue kind of a, a bigger change. So I went to law school, University of Michigan, go blue. Uh, uh, hat tip, always tell folks, if you get a chance, go to a football school. You'll you'll never be. There. <laughs> I didn't and, know. Uh, you know I know you're an SEC school. guy. When did, when, did, when did Michigan become a football school? Oh, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, an SEC guy would say that, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but 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 anyhow, uh, you know, graduated from there. Uh, knew I wanted to go back to New York City. Also knew I wanted to kind of try my hat at the corporate experience. Worked at a law firm uh, called Hughes Huffington and Reed. Um, did some fantastic work. I like to say we represented um, big firm against big firm. Um, and it was basically everything you see on TV and more from my perspective. Pretty um, pretty surreal coming back home, uh, you know, leaving as a you know young black male in the, in the city and coming back as a, a corporate lawyer you know, and all the coaching bonds that come with that. It's, and being back in your own neighborhood, it feels like kind of like a full circle journey. Um, from there, uh, had, basically got a call uh, from the Obama administration, it was basically like, um, would you be interested in uh, speech writing? Um, speech writing for um, uh, a cabinet secretary who also was a Morehouse alum on We're Everywhere. Um, and, you know, I, I, I jumped at the opportunity and that set me off on my path back into public service life. Um, and since then, a uh, number of different stops. Speech writing, worked in White House Counsel's Office, worked with a speech writer again for uh, Secretary Fox, and then found my way to Los Angeles um, by way of my wife. Uh, again, another 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 piece of advice: always follow your wife. 
<laughs> she'll lead you to uh you know to, to great things uh she does film and television writing so we've been out here for the last six years and you know here i did a lot of work uh at the municipal level uh county level a lot of uh economic development a lot of legislative work a lot of work around a creative economy but more than anything just focused on making people's lives better uh specifically in south la and all across the um, the county which in turn led me to this unique opportunity to establish a, a, and build out a nonprofit that's focused on providing opportunity through academic through, through academic pathways for Black students from South LA, um, which let's, is Black College Success. Let's drill into that a little bit. Let's drill down on the work you do now with Black College Success. First, what is the LA Promise Fund and what is Black College Success? So, uh, so I, I, like, I like to say it like this. Delhi Promise Fund is like is basically the large organizations we're incubated out of. Black Hall Success, we're our own thing. We're a project of LA Promise Fund. And you know, we utilize this opportunity, I like to say kind of like an incubator to kind of grow our organization and expand our services without having to focus on the administrative part um, just yet. Um, so we can deliver more support and services to our students. So how it works is uh we basically um form partnerships every year with high schools across South LA. Um, have a the, the most dynamic team in I'd like to say in the in the state, if not America, who knows how to go into schools, recruit black students um, to be part of our programs, and provide assistance with them so they can get into college. Now, this this assistance is a full range of um, uh, resources. So we're talking about uh, personal statement, um, writing workshops, one on one um application assistance, financial aid workshops, basically doing everything that you need. Um, or uh, being a kind of a concierge service for our Black students as they are trying to apply to different colleges across the country. Um, so yeah, that's the first part of our work. Second part right. is once, once we get you into college, we, we support you with scholarships, technology, relationships, um, everything you need to level the playing field for as a first generation, in many cases, Black student in a really foreign environment. I mean, that's so dope, but let, talk, let's back up 50,000 feet and ask, why is an organization like this needed today? Well, you know, that's that's a really good question. I think it's kind of a question, something that's a little bit bigger than, kind of bigger than us. Um, if you just look at the data, right? You know that um, where we work across the nine different South LA schools, soon to be 11, 30% um, of the black, of the population is black. Um, but only eight two percent of the rep residents have four year call degrees, um, and then from an LAUSD perspective, which is some of the schools we work with, we don't entirely just work with LA um, USD schools. Uh, Seventy five percent of the black students um, don't go to college. Uh, said another way, only only one out of four will go to college, and of that one to four who goes to college, uh, eighty five percent won't graduate. Right, so you know we we we. we 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 exist to kind of move the needle on those numbers um, because as you know in a new economy uh it's less about um you know having a high school degree it's more about post-secondary education this episode is brought to you by lululemon guys if you're ready for a new pair of pants try one of lululemon's abc pants they're made to make you look and feel good and there's lots of different styles to choose from my favorite because i walk around la every day i like the joggers I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just 
once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults with zero to 60 speed that throws you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. You know, the unique part is we're taping this now about two hours after affirmative action went the hill. Thank you, Clarence Thomas. Um, and I, I think the New York, um, the New York Times said that schools will become whiter and more Asian now and blacks and Hispanics will have a tougher time getting into schools. And my good friend uh, Eli Mistel wrote a piece um, in which he said that um, mediocre white men or mediocre whites can now rest easy. Um, talk about the the ruling um, and its effect on um, the work that you do. You know, Bakari, I think I think the ruling strikes at the heart of the work that we do. Um, we know that, uh, you know, we're based in California, so we've been a part of this experiment for a while. And what we know is that we can expect, uh, you know, black and black and brown students, mostly black students to uh, suffer the most um, percentage wise as it relates to kind of enrollment at elite universities. You know, just taking a step back. It's not just the uh, it's it's the far-reaching effects of this um, of this ruling across um, colleges and universities across the country, um, and then it, we, we're also talking about further upstream because ultimately, what's what's the purpose of going to school is to achieve a measure of economic security for yourself and for your family, um, family broadly, full stop. So we we, we think about how this is going to affect hiring, uh, potentially hiring with employers across the country. Um, you know, just going to narrow the pipeline of credentialed minority candidates in the workforce. Um, and then, you know, I, I think about what it means in the signal, in the, you know, beacon signal sends to students across the country uh, looking to apply to schools, right? So it's basically a situation where there's just less, statistically, we're going to expect to see less students, less of our students go to elite universities. And we have students who go everywhere from Stanford, NYU, Middlebury, um, to the Cal States. So it's going to affect us tremendously. So like you're in California now, and, uh, and as you know, since 1996, the public colleges in California are prohibited from considering race and admissions. How do your black students and their families perceive the UC system? And how do you how do organizations like yours prepare students for college admissions in California, California, now knowing that the fullness of their identity isn't fully acknowledged in the schools they're applying to? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, because I guess the perception is also part of the, the work that we're working through, right? You know, we want to let folks know that, you know, the opportunities are there for them at the UC systems. Um, but, you know, for us um, and for our families that we work with, there's a bit of there's a bit of hesitancy to apply at to certain universities because one, uh, you know, likelihood of them getting in, they've been told that it's, uh, it's going to be a challenge and numbers reflect that. Uh, secondarily, there's a uh, environment around some of the campuses that aren't necessarily the most welcoming. Right. So, you know, when we work with our students, we don't just focus on where they can get in. We also focus on fit and fit does come from kind of the soft factors 
around a unit how welcoming a university is to students and whether or not this university is taking uh care to make sure that their black students are not only integrated but are set up for success rather than just dropped off and um you know figured out on yourself by yourself um so I mean, I think that's, that's, that's also why the second that's also why the second part of your program is so important the fact that you stay with them throughout it's not just about getting them in but it's about getting the resources to finish too right Absolutely, absolutely. You mean, know, and Bakari, honestly, that's the part that's more than science, right? Um, because if you are uh, first gen, if you are going, if you in many cases are the first and one in your family to go to college um, or even leave the state to go to college, you might as well be taking a trip to Mars in terms of um, skill sets that you need and kind of recognize and, um, um, you know, the familiarity of the environment, right? So, so we are there to leaven that, um, you know, leaven that experience to make it so that you know, you have everything you need to succeed from laptops, scholarships, relationships, um, and peer support, to be quite honest. Well, so what, I mean, you, you said a word that jumped out at me, and I think the people can't imagine that there's still this conversation going on about first-generation students, but for us, that is a very real, a, a very real category of individual. What kind of conversations are you having with your higher education partners about how they can still prioritize recruitment of first-generation Black students um, like the students you work with yeah. post this ruling that happened a few hours ago. Yeah, no, I think we're still wading through and kind of using you reading through the ruling to understand kind of what are the contours of um, you know, the the ways universities can program. But full stop, uh universities um need to continue to do the outreach, right? To kind of get in these communities and kind of partner with organizations like mine who are upstream in the work, upstream in the work around preparation, but also um, support. Um, that's ultimately what it's going to come down to. It's just, if it's a question of universities not being able to recognize the fullness of a student's experience um, directly, you know, I think what's going to happen is organizations like mine that provide a certain level of support and, and to be quite honest, where, you know, to be a member, of, to be a student within our uh, program, the only requirements are 2.5 GPA or above or black or black identifying, right? So, you know, you work with a black college success uh, fellow, you're not only getting a top candidate, you're also getting someone who you who identifies as African-American or black. Now that kind of helped me, that, that's a decent segue to my next conversation because now you, uh, you already work with HBCUs to recruit your students. And in light of the ruling, do you think HBCUs will be even more attractive option for your students? And how do you think our HBCU should be thinking about the potential opportunity presented by the ruling this morning? Yeah, no. So, you know, so I, I would say this. Um, we're fortunate to work with the full spectrum of um, of educational partners. So we UCs, the CSUs, the private, private all across the country. Um, but the HBCUs are special. And especially because uh, it's... It, there's a cultural competence there that's um, kind of interwoven throughout the throughout the experience, right? You remember going to Morehouse. You remember kind of showing up on campus, um, what it was like to kind of see what two thousand other like black males from across the country um, in class, um, and the teacher who was, you know, speaking of their, their experience of being a Morehouse man. You can't pay for that, right? You can't um, build that. That's a hundred years in the making. So for a lot of our students who are um, who are going to HBCUs. I like to say they kind of have a, a, a community advantage. Um, I think HBCUs should be looking at this ruling as an opportunity to kind of double down on the HBCU experience. Um, not only that, they should be looking at this as an opportunity to expand um, the HBCU like academic curriculum. Because I can imagine a world where we would 
have more students, you know, looking to apply to HBCUs. The only challenge around that is funding, honestly. A lot of our HBCUs aren't necessarily well-funded to provide the level of uh, financial support to our talented students who would like to go there. You have, uh, how many how many stories have you heard of folks who had the, uh, a full ride at Princeton um, and was trying to decide between Princeton and Morehouse? You know, the thing that tipped it was that Morehouse was, uh, you know, offering that full ride. Um, so it made it, uh, it made it an attractive opp opportunity for them. We need more university um, HBCUs to provide these financial um, resources and support support for our students. I mean, especially post-COVID, because we're seeing now that post-COVID, a lot of these HBCUs were struggling. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I, I think though, I think, you know, it, so, you know, the, we have a problem, right? We know that race can't be considered and it's kind of now on us to focus on the next steps. You know, I, I would say there is a, there's a, a role for the federal government to double down and kind of provide more support to our HBCUs. Um, so that they can, in turn, you know, offer more services and financial support to students, attract more students. But then, you know, I would also say there is a responsibility by uh, the civic community, um, both locally and nationally, to kind of uh, double down on the services that we that they're providing for students in schools, right? Because you know they're they're in this, and that's really what this is about. Beyond the page, beyond the words. It's how this will affect the trajectories and lives of black and brown students across America. And that's what I don't want us to forget. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48 inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh, my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25 and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. I want to end with this on a, on a kind of a large policy note here. One of the things I learned in preparing for this interview is how little local, state, and federal governments spend on college prep and access programs for programs like yourself. 
Contrast that with the massive amounts of money wealthier families invest in admissions counselors on top of things like legacy admission. What should we be asking policymakers to do better to support organizations like Black College Success? Yeah, you know, if, uh, if, I mean, honestly, Bakari, that could be that could be a whole podcast of its own, right? You know, I would have probably like you know stack rank it in terms of, um, you know, there's always a need to invest more more in schools, right? Um, there's always a need to provide the you know spe specific funding so that we're reaching out to our students um, and prepping them um, a lot of earlier. You know, certain certain universities have early. Um, opportunity opportunity access programs. This is called mm -hmm. EAOP programs. And those, um, you know, vary in quality and scale and size based on um, the university that's implementing it. I'd love to see something like that um, institution-wise at, at the state level. You know, then we're, we're also talking about, uh, you know, providing more support for the folks who are actually doing the work. Uh, you know, I come from the uh, public policy background. And what I like to say is that you know, there is a role for implementation, and that role is usually with our nonprofit partners who are working um, in the field, providing the direct services, and know what works and what doesn't work. I would absolutely say that we need to bring more organizations like Black Color Success, and I'm not talking my own book here, but more organizations like mine into the fold, um, because we are working with the students and we are getting them ready, and we are recognizing the challenges and what works and what doesn't work to get our students into college. I mean, I think that's an easy thing. And I think that when you have, you know, I'd be interested to ask that question and see what um, Gavin Newsom's Department of Education is doing. Right. But I also think on a larger level, um, you know, the, the United States DOE should be taking an initiative and focusing dollars and efforts into that type of college prep, particularly now. How can listeners support Black College Success and follow all that you are doing on social media? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the I appreciate the. Um the opportunity. Uh, you know, I, I say this. Uh, one, they can visit us at uh, Um, you know, where we are. You can learn more about the organization. Um, and then, to be quite honest, they can uh, reach out to us um, via social media and uh, work with any. We're always excited to work with new partner schools and bring on new partners. Um, we have more than uh, 350 students who are currently um, in college. And every year we bring on a new 200 students. So, um, you know, our work is exponential um, and it's urgent, especially in this moment. I appreciate you, Ibert Schultz. Thanks for joining the Bukhari Sales Podcast. And if my wife lets me go to homecoming this year, I'll see you there. <laughs> see you too, man. Looking forward to it. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. 
sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.